Man, I saw some of you getting after it. Oh, man, this is our last Sunday, uh, normal Sunday, to worship this year, and I hope uh, that we are going to make it count. Um, before we uh, get really cooking, I need to tell you some things. Uh, there's some cards that are on your seat there. Um, those are for our members. I just wanted you as a guest to walk in. I, I didn't want that Google review um, tomorrow to read. I walked in this church for the first time and they were asking me for my money and they gave me a card and they said, sign on the dotted line, show me your W-2s, um, you know, uh, that kind of crazy. Uh, so those are for our members as we are raising money to pay off some of our debt in this building and we're just asking everyone to commit the same. And and so uh, today we've been going through a series called Priceless, and we're talking about the ways that we should view generosity, and that ultimately, as the bumper was discussing, it's a matter of the heart. And so as we go through today's message, it's going to be one about giving, uh, but I think that we'll see at the end of the day that it's, it's not really about the money, that, that's not the point. The point is it's about your heart. And as we go through this, I hope that I can connect some dots for you. Um, now, whenever you're, as a, as a pastor, just so you know, because uh, we have a mixed bag here. We have a lot of new people, and then we have a lot of people who have been here. So, so that's, that's, that's an interesting uh, cross-section. And so uh, whenever people are going into church, one of their number one, one of their number one objections um, as they're going into church is that those churches, they just want, they just want your money. And um, I assure you uh, that that is not the case. But let me preach to you today, and then we'll see if we agree when it's all said and done. But there's this mindset that comes over people, and, and I get it. I get where you're, where you're coming from. Um, and, I, and I hope that I can, can unlock some things for you today as we go through the message. Um, because I believe that uh, God has things for us, and it's really an issue of alignment um, and I don't know if you've ever seen things uh, that are out of alignment. I know that all of us in here, we've driven cars. I don't know if you've ever hit a curb. Um, there's some people in my family that like curbs more than others. Um, and um, we get that lifetime alignment. You know what I'm talking about? All the husbands said amen. Like, you got to get that lifetime alignment, right? Because it constantly... Anyway, um, so, so anything is out of alignment... Whenever your wheels are out of alignment, it causes the car to pull, okay? It'll pull to one side or the other. And when we think about that in our own lives, when our lives are out of alignment with God's Word, what happens is in our natural state, okay, in our, in our sinful state, our part that's apart from God, we are prone, we are naturally predispositioned to pull towards being outside of the boundaries that God has set. And so we have to constantly get into alignment because our flesh is trying to pull us out of alignment. And uh, that, that led me down a road uh, that I was, I was thinking about this week uh, to, to set up the message. Uh, one time I was uh, in, in college and I was going back to my dorm uh, to pick up some things. And in Oklahoma and Tulsa area, uh, we get snow uh, every year. We get snow. And it's funny, like, you know, when I moved down to the Dallas area, if, if it snows here, it is like, you know, there's two, there's two parts of it. Uh, the, the panic phase, um, no one can drive um, here in, in snow because they go, oh, my gosh. Anyway, and then there's, like, the joy, like, Santa's coming, right? Um, whenever it snows, everybody's like, oh, let's go outside and play in the snow. It never comes. And so there's, um, there's a lot of that. But in Oklahoma, you know, it's snowing. It's kind of like, oh, i got to drive in the snow. And so it was terrible. And so I was having to go back to my dorm, and, and I was young, all right? I was young. I was driving the old Hyundai Excel, a stick, okay? And um, and I love that car. Um, it's my first car that I bought. Um, and so I was driving it back to my dorm, and, and there was snow on the sides of the roads, right? But there wasn't any snow on the road. Therefore, in your youthful exuberance, I felt like I could drive the full speed limit of the toll road that I was on, maybe a little bit over, right? And so the speed limit was 75. And so I'm cruising along, right? And um, and, you know, I just think when you're young, you just think, oh, nothing's going to happen, right? Nothing's going to happen. What's the worst that could happen? I've always said to my children, you know what the worst that could happen? The worst 
See, anybody ask that question, right? What's the worst that could happen? The worst, the worst is what could happen. So apparently the snowplow guy that was clearing the roads, I don't know if he like had to clock out. I don't know if he needed a donut break. I don't know what happened. But instead of, instead of grading the road at a taper so that you could merge over into the outside lane, he had just quit. Like he was like literally he pushed the snow and then it stopped in the left lane. All right. So now there's a four foot snow drift that is right in front of me. I crest this hill. Okay. And beside me is a motorhome. Okay. And like there's nobody else on the road as it happens. Right. Have you ever, have you ever seen something on the road and it just like it's so not supposed to be there that your reaction time is a little, has anybody ever had this? Like, you're like, is that a table? You know, and, and you're, you're thinking swerve, but your brain is trying to figure out why is this on the road? Well, my brain could not do this calculation fast enough. So this motorhome was boxing me in and I just had to like, I remember just saying, hold the wheel. <laughs> You know how you coach yourself in the insanity moments? It's like, just hold the wheel and everything will be okay, dude. I hit this snow drift. Snow instantly covered my windshield. And then I went in what I will call the death spiral, okay? I literally just started 360 down the road. And I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, okay? I was 19 years old. And so every time my car would spin around, there was this kid in the window of that motorhome, and I would see this kid, and this kid was like. <laughs> and then I would go around, and I'd come back around. <laughs> I came to a stop, and I was in that moment of like, my car was still running, and I just like, I just shut it down. I just turned it off. Has anybody ever had one of those moments where you're just like, am I, is everything okay? I don't feel like I'm okay. And no one stopped. No one stopped. Motorhome kept going. Other people just driving by. I'm sitting in snow in the middle of a, a toll road, and no one, no one cared. And so, so sad. Uh, but I was thinking, I was thinking, how oftentimes are we like me in the story where God is trying to get us on track? He's trying to get us in the right lane. But the wrongness in us is always going to be pulling against the rightness of God. And so today, as I preach through this passage, I want you to know that you are prone to pulling outside of God's plan for your life. And when you think about it, if God knows best, then if we would give in to what God's Word says, then we could get back on track. You see, God sees over the hill. God knows what lies ahead, and he's trying to get you in the right lane so that you don't hit the thing that's going to destroy your life. And so I hope today that I can preach this message. Now, I will tell you, I will tell you the first promise of Genesis Metro to all of our people that's founded in, the, in God's Word is that we are going to preach the truth. And I hope today that as I preach the truth, that you would receive the truth. And sometimes it's not fun to preach some of these truths because you know it's not like, oh, the crowd's like, more tithe messages, more tithe messages. But I, I want you to know, it's, it's kind of like, think about this. Um, if you were going to the doctor and uh, the doctor was a super positive person, and so they never wanted to give you bad news. Just imagine this for a moment. Like, what if there was something wrong with your heart, but they didn't want to tell you because they didn't want you to be disappointed? And so they just like, were like, no, thumbs up, right? Do you, do you want that doctor? Like, do you want the dentist that sees the cavity forming in your tooth and is just going to wait until it cracks? And then they got to go in there with that drill. Has anybody ever had that? I have never had that. I've seen people that have it, though, and they have, like, the, the, the what do they call it? They need a crown. And so they, like, drill down in there to break the tooth up, like, and then, like, they take the, the, the needle and they stick it down into that gums. And then, like, they got to, like, 
put the stuff in there to make the tooth whole? Like, is that what, like, would you want a dentist that was like, hey, you need a filling? And we could have avoided all of this if we just put a little filling in there, right? You would want someone to tell you the truth. And the church said, amen. So I am going to tell you the truth. And we're going to walk through this passage together. And it's going to be a challenge. All right? I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm going to tell you some challenging truths today. And I hope that you would reason, engage your reason, and then check your heart. Because if I'm preaching the truth and your heart is out of alignment, then I care about that. God cares about that. And I'd be a terrible pastor if I had the key that unlocked the door for God's best for your life, and then I didn't give it to you. So here we go. Are you ready, church? Let's go. Malachi chapter 3. It says in verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? First point we'll make today is God is consistent and a constant. God is consistent and a constant. Um, Whenever we try to think about things in our lifetimes... And just out of curiosity, we're going to kind of do some hand raising here for just a moment. If you are under the age of 20, will you please raise your hand? Will you please raise your hand? I just want to get a gauge of the audience, okay? Put your hands down. If you are between 20 and 30, would you raise your hand? This is a younger congregation than the last one, all right? Now put your hands down. If you are over the age of 40, would you raise your hand? Okay, okay, okay. I'm not going to go any higher. Some people were getting nervous. So I want to talk to all the people that are over 40, but this will apply to everyone in the audience. Are there any things in our society today that if I were to take you back 20 years, 30 years, whenever you were 20, and I would say, write a list of the most crazy things that you could think that our society would ever embrace? And would you even come close to where we are today? Would you say that things have changed, say amen, in a crazy way (laughs) compared to what you knew as America growing up? Okay, so so what I'm trying to get you to see is that there's, there's constants that we thought were true and that when our country was under those constants, Those constants were not built out of American ideals. They were built from the Bible. That's why it says we are endowed, what? With certain inalienable rights by our creator. You see, our founders tied our liberties to the Bible, to God. Therefore, they're not the rights given to you by the United States of America. They're given to you by God Almighty himself. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so whenever you think about that, we would say this was a good thing and we were under God's supervision. And then slowly but surely, for the last 200 years, we've moved further and further away from God's truth. But he does not change. He is the constant. I was just wondering if your life this morning might look like my driving story that I shared just a moment ago. Is there anyone in here that is out of alignment in your marriage? That is out of alignment in your parenting? That is out of alignment in your finances? That you've hit the snow wall and now as you walked in here today, you are in the death spiral. You are in the spin. And you're walking in here and you feel like everyone in the congregation is the kid in the motorhome. Like, (laughs) And you're going to say to yourself at some point in this message, how does he know? 
I had it said to me after the first service. Like, how does he know? How does he know? I don't know, fool. It's God. God knows. God knows what you need before you ever walk in the room. Don't you want to tie yourself to a constant, to something that does not change, something that is consistent that you can bank on? Because I guarantee you, at some point, you put your trust in people. Sometimes you put your trust in money. Whatever it is that you've put your trust in, I guarantee you, if you lean on the wrong thing long enough, you're going to find that it isn't enough. It isn't enough. God is a constant. And, and sometimes we even want to say, like, like gravity. And I actually flipped it in the wrong source. I got I to print a retraction. People think that gravity is a constant, right? But did you know that if you went to the North Pole, that you weigh slightly less than if you're at the equator. So if anybody are looking for, you know, trim down, you got to go north, okay? Every time you go south, you're just going to disappoint yourself, okay? So like even the things that we think are constant, what I'm trying to say is they're actually variables. And in this equation with God, he is the only constant. Our condition is the variable. So if we tie ourselves to the constant, then we can know what to predict. We can know what to project. We can know that there's no storm that we don't have strength for whenever our trust is in God. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Now, it's interesting because there's a little bit of a Bible depth here that we have to kind of drive into. Abraham was the first patriarch. He had a miracle son named Isaac. And then Isaac had twins, and they were miracle twins because his wife was barren as well. And those twins were named Jacob and Esau. Jacob means like a selfish person. It's a, he's, a, he's a person who was always angling in every relationship, in every conversation. He was angling to get an advantage, okay? That's Jacob. And God demonstrates the dualism of mankind in the Jacob story because he wrestles with God. And as a result of the wrestling match that he loses, he becomes Israel. God changes his name. Now, Jacob, in the natural state, is selfish. Israel means God prevails. And it was only when he surrendered that God allowed him to become Israel. So here, let's put that in this context of this verse. Put the verse back up on the screen. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, right, you, the sons of Jacob, are not consumed. In our natural state, we would be consumed. You see, the, the part of God that demands justice is going to be measured up against the part of us, part of us that can't be just. So whenever you think about it, how many of you, or how long, I guess I should say, would you live if I gave you one more strike on the thing that you keep telling God that you're not going to do again? How long would you live? You say, what? Well, we are not going to fight about that ever again. Have you ever tried to tell your children to stop doing something? Has anybody ever like, done this? And like five minutes, sometimes five seconds, someone testify in here. And they do the same, they do it again, the same thing, not even something different. The same thing drives you mad. It's like, are you not listening? Anyway, God says, if my holiness and my righteousness was not tempered, then you would be destroyed. In your natural state, your sin would deserve destruction. But God says, because I do not change. Because I'm the constant, you are not destroyed. Point number two, my standing is in God's mercy, 
not my strength. My standing is in God's mercy, not my strength. It is because of his mercy, because of his long suffering, because of his patience, because of his grace, because of his love, that I am not consumed. If I was living every day on a one-strike rule, I wouldn't make it through probably 20 minutes without being consumed. Therefore, this morning, I want you to begin considering there's so many people that live on top of a mountain of pride that believe that you are standing because of your own strength, that, that you are capable and that you are strong enough, smart enough, whatever it is, that you're going to be able to handle whatever life can give to you. And I couldn't tell you how wrong you are, how very wrong you are, that we need something in our life that is greater than us. Our heart is desperately looking for something to fill the void that is in our lives. And that something is God. He said, I do not change, therefore you are not destroyed. Then he says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. I wanted to ask a question real quick. What are you passing on? Like when you think about the DNA of disobedience, God is saying that this problem didn't start with you. It actually started with your dad and then your grandfather and then your great-grandfather. And I've now lived long enough. I'm 49, closing in, 50 next year. I know you're saying, like, you don't look that old. <laughs> no, I feel like I'm starting to look that old. I've noticed... As I've gotten older and you look back, like, I have to work really hard for the tendencies that were in my father not to be manifest in me. Because the truth of the matter is, most of us weren't raised in a home that was pointed in the right direction. We weren't given godly examples to follow. And then the ones that were given Examples that were shrouded in church, it's like how much obedience? Was it Sunday morning checklist or was it a lifestyle of a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? So I wanted to ask you this morning, what are you passing on? Remember, what is your natural bent? Your natural bent is to move away from God's truth. It's hard to hold on to the will and keep it straight. And so if you're not intentional about your effort... He says here that this is a generational issue, that your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, they have all neglected and keep turning away from my truth. And he says, come on, at some point we got to get this right. At some point you got to quit turning away from the thing that you know is right. And so today I'm going to challenge you with that. I'm going to ask you, when it comes to your children, what do you want to pass on? Do you want to pass on a godly example that points them in the way of truth, life, love, absolute eternal purpose that lives inside of grace? Instead of constantly scoreboarding, you look for ways to forgive versus condemn? Like, what is it that you want to leave as your legacy? Because he says to the Israelites, you have constantly been ignoring what I'm trying to tell you. And then he gives a promise. I love that God never presents a problem without a promise. Have you guys ever noticed that? Do you guys have any employees that constantly bring you problems? Does anybody, does anybody have those? Probably not, right? Um, but I know I don't because they're all pastors and godly people. So what is this promise? He says, return to me and I will do what? I'll return to you. Return to me and I will return to you. Now, why does he phrase it like that? Why does he, why, why does he say that the onus is on you? Because he didn't move. He's right where you left him this morning. Have you ever had a season when you were apart from God? 
You ever had a season when you were walking in darkness? Guess what? When you decide to turn around and return to God, He's always right where you left Him. And you know what Genesis Metro wants to be? We want to be the place that you can count on. We want to be the place that you can return to. We want to be the place that any given Sunday you can walk through the doors and guess what? He's right where you left him. And Genesis Metro is that type of church. And the church said, amen, give him glory in his house today. Yes, when you walked in, you felt something. If you've been away from God, you're going to wrestle with it today. I hope you wrestle. Man, I hope you do. I, I welcome the wrestling match. Come on, let's fight. Anyway. He says, return to me, and I will return to you. I don't move. I don't change, God says. It's you. It's you that changes. It's you that wanders. It's you that turns away. It's you that keeps promising and then breaks your promise. He says, but if you would return to me, I'll return to you. The right heart always has a desire to return. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that in the scripture, like David committed adultery? Do you remember that? The man after God's own heart committed adultery. And after he had committed adultery, he wrote Psalm 51 that says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What was his heart? His heart wanted to return. Every time we get out in the darkness, if you're a believer in here this morning, what is your heart crying out? It says, return. Return. There's so many examples in the Bible of people that returned. When Samson lost his strength, all because of that woman. What was her name? Let's say it together. One, two, three. Delilah. Say it again for the people in the back. One, two, three. Delilah. Every man in here has met his match. Delilah. Every woman in here has some scorn that's built up inside, like Taylor Swift. You got a list, and she's on that list. Tell me, am I saying, ladies, am I telling the truth? Say amen. amen. That's right. Some of you lied in church right then. You're like, <laughs> he went astray after the wrong woman, man. There's nothing more. Sad, and there's no more wreckage than the wrong woman. Man, whew. guys, if you're single in here, you're like, oh, I just want to meet someone. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You want to meet the right one, not someone. After he lost his strength, what? It says that they took his eyes, and then they put him on display as like a trophy. And it says at the end, he prayed that his strength would return and that the hair began to grow back on his head. It says in his death, he pushed out these pillars and he, he defeated more enemies at the end than he had in his whole life because he had a heart to return. After Peter denied Christ three times that he even knew him, he had a heart to return. And it says that Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? It's not that God isn't going to qualify your commitment. What if I ask you this morning, do you love him? You're like, yeah, I love Jesus. No, I said, but do you love him? Like, yeah. And what if I ask you, do you love him? Now you're going to be like offended, right? Some of you are going to be like, why do you keep asking me that? Just saying at some point it's going to cost you Christianity. We're not going to preach cheap Christianity at Genesis Metro Church. The cross is going to cost you. Hey, this morning God's not trying to sell you. He's trying to save you. Do you understand? He comes back to the Lord, and as a result of his coming back, he becomes the chief apostle that leads the church movement to change the world. God is constantly trying to call you to return to him and he says, as a, result, or as a result of you returning to him, that he will return to you. Jonah definitely didn't want to do what God had to say. You remember he was supposed to preach to the people in Nineveh. 
And he decided that he wasn't going to do what God had called him to do. And I'll just, I'll just let it linger in here. Like, are you unsure about what God wants you to do? Are you, are you walking in here? Are you going to bring that weak stuff in here? Dude, bring that into the paint. I will Shaquille O'Neal that into the third row. Tell me that you don't know. How long you been in church and you still don't know? How long you been in church and you still don't know? Jonah was like, no, God, I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do my thing. And he got in a ship and he sailed twice as far the wrong way. And then he ended up in a fish at the bottom of the ocean with seaweed wrapped around his head. And he's still for three days arguing with God. How stubborn are you? And it says that finally when his life was ebbing away, have you ever heard of hitting rock bottom? He was at the literal bottom of the ocean for three days. And he finally said, okay, God, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. The fish spit him up. Now see, the point of that is a whole other sermon, but God's going to get you there. You just get to decide how. Do you want to go the easy way? Or do you want to go, say it with me, the hard way? How stubborn are you this morning? Some of you are at the bottom of the ocean and you still think you have leverage to negotiate with God. Come on. This isn't a deal. That's disobedience. And so he says, return to me and I will return to you. And then they ask a question. They say, well, God, how? How can we return? God said, I'm so glad you asked me that question. Verse 8. He said, will a mere mortal rob God? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? He said, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. I want to talk about blessing blockers, okay? And um, parents, you have an advantage. And I saw that uh, Jesse Kilbane is in the back. And uh, can you Mufasa? Is, it, is he asleep right now? The newborn is asleep in here right now with us, our newest, freshest baby right out of the oven, okay? And um, you only have an advantage with children for the first two years, okay? Then after that, their lying is just, it's like, then it's hard to discern. And then they get to middle school, and they got trap phones, and they got all these things and ways of connecting. It's just like, it's a very, it's a very tough task in today's parenting world, okay? But up until two, they have this thing that's called like object permanence where they, they, they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And so they have this mindset of what they see is what sees them, all right? And so if you've ever seen a small child, they will, like you put something on the table or there's an outlet over there or whatever, you know. And uh, back in the day, you know, there's the fork in the outlet was an issue for my generation. I don't know why. And... Um, <laughs> And so, like, you can ask it, you can see a two-year-old, you can see them, like, they know the rule, they know not to do the thing, touch the thing, hit their brother, do whatever, and, like, they will do it, okay? And, and then you will stand right behind them. I mean, you're standing right behind them watching this go down. And you're like, hey! And, you know, they'll always look surprised, right? And then you're like, did you touch that thing? And you know what they'll say? They'll look you dead in the eye. And what will they say? Now, if they were smart... They would see you were there, right? They would start putting the equation together, and they would know, don't lie. And I literally said, like, now I'm going to ask you again, did you touch it? And it's going to go worse for you if you touched it and you lie. Did you touch it? <laughs> they think because you, they didn't see you, that you didn't see them. You're trying to figure out how to get back to God. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you're asking, how do I rob you? Like, did you see me, God? Do you think that, oh, wait a minute. 
I know that you fancy yourself as a smart person, so let me, let me work with what I got here. Do you think because no one else saw that God didn't see? Is that what you're saying? Is that your argument that you're putting forth in here today? Come on, let's, let's, let's mix it up here. You're saying that because no one else knows that you think that God doesn't know. He's saying that there's a connection, right? There's a connection between the curse and the consumption of the tithe. He's saying when you consume that which belongs to me, that it was connected to a physical position that was occurring so that our spiritual connection has an impact on our physical position. And so today, a lot of times, we kind of think of it in that Jacob mindset. We got that Jacob thinking of, like, I got to take care of me first. Because, like, if I don't take care of me first, then there might not be enough when it's all said and done. And so we start thinking about, what do I need? What does my family need? And what we neglect will always reflect our priorities, okay? And I just want to ask, because I'm just guessing most people here didn't grow up wealthy all your life with no worries and no problems. So I just want to ask the, the audience a question. Have you ever gone through difficult times where you were having to really figure out what you were going to pay first? Have you ever had a season like that in your life? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Almost everyone in here. Okay. So you sit around and you're like, okay, well, we got to eat. But we'd really like there to be electricity. And so you have to start thinking about what are you going to neglect. And whatever you prioritize is what you value the most. Now just to show everyone some contrasts for how people think they have it bad today. Raise your hand if you've never been in a house that didn't have Wi-Fi. Just raise your hand real quick. Raise your hand. If you've always had Wi-Fi since you've been born, raise your hand. Yes. Dude, you want to know what what toughness for this generation is, let the Wi-Fi, let the Wi-Fi go out. Father, we have no Wi-Fi. Are we poor? We don't have our gigabit connection. Our Fortnite game is lagging, Father. Can I buy more skins, Father? That's what we're up against, people. That's what we're up against. Meanwhile, back in the day, at some juncture, you were deciding, like ramen noodles or the dollar menu at McDonald's, and that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I've been in a season where I ate cereal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Come on, someone talk to me in here. Like, sometimes you're going to be in a season, and what you neglect reflects what your priorities are. You know what I would never do? I would never neglect my tithe. I'm going to give you the best financial advice that you'll ever get. Do not neglect your tithe. No matter what, God gets my first. He doesn't get my last. He doesn't get my leftovers. At the end of this message, don't leave a tip. You leave a tithe, okay? So that's what God is wanting from us. He's saying to the Israelites that there's a part, there's a portion that I've given you and that you're supposed to give that back to me. It was never yours. I loaned it to you. And now we're going to fund the ministry of the Old Testament through that tithing mechanism. And we're going to make it equal and sacrifice for everyone so that it's fair. The tithe is 10%, the first 10%. And then I know, I know I got some people in here. So let's do this. All right, let's throw down. Some people are going to say in here, especially my Bible nerds that have been in church, you got your Pharisee Christian cape on and you flew in here judging everyone like all oh, that music. That's just like, that's too loud. That's too rock and roll. It's the, the weather in here. It's too hot. It's too cold. Whatever. I, I get you. Let me come for you for just a moment. Okay. Are you ready? You say, well, that's, that's Old Testament, Tim. That's Old Testament. I thought that Jesus, like he nailed the old covenant to the cross, and now we're under the new covenant. We're under grace. We're under forgiveness. We're under mercy. In Christ, we've been set free. Okay, okay. Let's go New Testament then. Let's go New Testament. What did Jesus say? Jesus said 
that the disciples, when he called them, left. How much was it? Oh my gosh, it was everything. In Acts chapter 2, it said that the, the believers had all things in common, that they renounced their rights to their property so that the church could go forth in strength. Because they loved Jesus, the apostle Paul himself said, considering the knowledge and the power of the resurrection, I count all things as rubbish. So let's have that Old Testament, New Testament. I think we're going to arrive between 10% and everything, and we'll call it good in the house of God today. How about that? Let's do that. You know what I can't stand? I'm just going to get it all out today, okay? This is where I'm, I'm doing therapy here today. There's some pastors out there and theologians. They'll give all the arguments why the tithe was part of the old covenant and da-da-da-da-da. There's some believers that make that argument. And every single one of them are making an argument for less. Like, how can we do less for God? And that drives me insane. I've never thought one day in my life since I met Christ, where can I find the loophole to do less? Doesn't it seem like the more you know him, the more you get what he gave you, that he withheld nothing but gave you his best, that he's worthy of our everything? So this morning, if you're a Christian that's looking to do less, come on. I would pray that your heart oh, would pull back and see. What did God give you? And then what is he worthy of? And I don't think you'll come to a conclusion that he's worthy of less. I think that you'll consider it and say that he's worthy of more. Here he's saying that when they withheld what belonged to God, and let's just say firsts, and we could say it's 10%, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be 10% because it was 10% for a tithe. And then there were these grain offerings, there were these wave offerings. And then in the New Testament, we have almsgiving, and then we have your first fruits. And so there's all these different things that we could say are standards, but certainly the standard couldn't be less. What is the remedy? Verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, this, this is such an incredible promise that God makes you. Now, here's me being your pastor for just a moment. And if you're a guest, this is me being a truth teller, okay? I know that everyone's going to tell you what you want to hear, but I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. There may, he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God says, and this is the only time that this, this kind of statement like this is made, Test me in this. God is throwing down the gauntlet and challenging you directly to your face. Okay? Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want you to receive it just like I'm saying it. God says, test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. Here, Malachi is in a crescendo. He's saying that alignment creates access. When we are aligned, we have access to things that we otherwise do not have access to. What are the three things that are contained in these two verses? He says that I will open, right? He says I will pour out to the overflowing. And then he says I will prevent the pest. Man, have you ever wondered why your stuff keeps getting consumed by all the pests? Has anybody ever had some pests that is trying to consume your stuff? Is anybody in here like, like, dude, it's like, I can't get ahead. I can't get ahead. I can't. It's like, right when I get this, this happens. I get this, I get this happens. This and this happens. And like, it's like, oh, nothing's going right. Well, let me ask you, are you putting God first in your life? Or are you putting you first in your life? Because as long as you are first, that's a blessing blocker. And God is saying that until you put me on the throne of your heart, then I can't open the floodgates. 
Now, I want you to see another verse that's one of my favorites that's akin to this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. This is a solemn pronouncement to the Holy One, to the true one who holds the key of David. Listen to what he says. He opens doors that no one can shut, and he shuts doors that no one can open. You hearing that? We're just going to leave this on the screen. Have you ever felt like there was something that needed to be unlocked, but you didn't have the power to unlock it? Have you ever wanted to change, but you couldn't seem to change? Have you ever wanted to be more loving, but you just can't find it? Have you ever wanted to be a better communicator with your spouse, but it just seems like it's not in you? Have you ever thought as a parent, I know I'm not being intentional enough, and I know that my mom and dad weren't intentional, and that's why I got all this baggage, and so I need to do it, but then, like, you don't do it? Have you ever thought about why you know the truth that the Bible says that there's one man that built his house on the shifting sand and there's another guy that built his house on the rock? And we say that we have all this anxiety and now we have so much. Like anxiety is the epidemic word. Everything in life is anxiety. And so I start to think, am I building on the rock or am I building on the shifting sand? You see, I'm the variable. I'm the variable. I get to decide where do I build my house. And if I'm on the shifting sand, I'm constantly going to be worried about the next storm and the next storm and the next storm. Because when that storm comes, if I built on the sand, it's all going to collapse. But if I built on the rock, I go to bed at night and I sleep well. Because I know no matter what storm comes, this house is going to stand. Whenever I'm preaching on this topic, it's kind of interesting because, you know, people always question the motives of pastors preaching about money. Did you guys know that? Boy, I'm going to tell you, I almost used a word there that would not be Sunday appropriate. It kind of of riles me up a little bit. That people sit out there and like, oh, he just wants my money. Now I want your heart. That's what I want. I'm the shepherd that wants to lead my sheep to the green grass. I'm the shepherd that knows what it's like. You want to tell you what it's like to be on my side? I know what it's like to sit there when it's failed and the divorce lawyer is on the phone and I got to walk with people through the darkest days. I know what it's like when the widow gets the phone call. I know what it's like to be the person who delivers the news that someone has passed away. I know what it's like whenever someone lost their battle in mental health to get down on my hands and knees and clean up the blood, and fix the sheetrock so that the parents can come home to the house. I know what that's like. I'm the sheep that shows up. I'm the shepherd that shows up for the sheep. What I'm trying to say to you is, you're in this house. Watch what we do. And you'll know that we love. We are the shepherd that show up for our sheep. And our motive is... We want God's best for your life. So don't come in here at me with that weak stuff about you're just trying to get my money. Hey, God doesn't need your money, my friend. God doesn't need one single cent from you to do his will. But you need God's blessing in your life. Don't you understand that? That God is wanting to pour it out. But you're holding on. Out of fear, out of pride, out of greed. And he's saying, I can't do what I want to do until you return to me. But if we would return and say, God, I'm going to honor you, man, he would pour it out. This morning, that's what I want for you and your life. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to give God an opportunity to work this morning in our hearts. I want to pray for every prodigal that's in the room to return. 
I want to pray for every hard heart that it would be softened. I want us to wrestle this morning as Jacob did. And I pray that true transformation might occur as we move from Jacob to Israel, that God would prevail. I'd like to ask God to stir in you something that used to be there. I don't know what happened. And I don't know when it happened. But I know this. That you can only do it on your own for so long before you're broken. And it doesn't matter what kind of clothes you walked in here with, what kind of car you drove, how big your house is, my friend. Until you say yes to giving God everything. Then you're under a curse. I just feel, I just, man, I just feel like I'm going to talk to all my AG people that are in the room. The spirit of Jonah is in the room. That's what I feel. I feel like some people are at the bottom of the ocean and they're still arguing with God. I feel it. I feel the tension right now. I feel like God literally is giving you the keys to the castle saying, take a step towards me. And I'll unlock the door. And you're sitting there saying, no, I want to stay here, Tim. I want to stay here. I like it here. I'm enjoying here. This broken marriage, I'm enjoying it. My kids going away and straying from God's word, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this too much. The thrill I get from the sin, no, I like it too much. The addiction, I like it more. I want to stay here. God is revealing his truth, but you're saying, no, I want the other thing. Come on. Yeah, see, you walked in here, thought it was just going to be a Sunday. But no, I'm, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Where's your heart this morning? Where's your heart this morning? Do you love him? 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 Say yes if you love him. Do you love him? See, weak sauce. Do you love him? Is he worth everything? Because if he's not worth everything, he's not worth anything. Would you guys stand with us? We're going to sing a song of worship. We're going to leave the altar open. If you'd like to worship at the altar today, say, God, I'm giving you my first. I'm giving you my best. You are worthy of everything, God, and you only require a small portion. I understand it's time, it's energy, it's money. I know that everyone's busy. I know that everyone has their thing. But just today, just today for this one moment, would you sing to him and worship him with everything that you have? This is your chance. Let's go. Blessed assurance, Jesus is.